Hello, and welcome to Historical True Crime, the podcast where we uncover history's darkest crimes and criminals. I'm your host, Lizzie, and today is episode 33. We're going to be back in the United States in the late 1800s, early 1900s, and today's episode is on Theo Durant. Just seven years after the horrific Whitechapel murders, the startling violence of the Demon of the Belfry killings prompted immediate comparisons to Jack the Ripper. Contrary to the Ripper, however, Theo targeted young middle-class ladies by luring them into the church where they all worshipped, raping, and killing them. But who was Theo Durant? Well, Theodore Durant was born in Toronto, Canada in 1871 and moved to San Francisco with his parents when he was a child. His parents made sure he received a decent education. He attended Cooper Medical College as a medical student in 1895. He was also one of the most active members of the Emanuel Baptist Church, which is situated on Bartlett close to 23rd Street, and he purported to be a devout Christian. He spent his time doing different repairs, helping out with church services, and teaching Sunday school. He was well-liked and respected in the neighborhood. Theo was even chosen as the secretary of the social organization started by the younger members of this church, and served as superintendent of the Sunday school. Welford, in his article for Medium.com, describes Theo as a young man, tall and lean, with a pale complexion, that highlighted his blue eyes and helped him stand out in a crowd. He was in reality the kind of young man that most mothers of the late 19th century daughters would have embraced as a potential son-in-law. He appeared to be headed for a prosperous and secure future. The only criticism leveled at him was that for such an educated man, he had quite long hair. A young woman by the name of Blanche Lamont left her home in Dillon, Montana in 1894 and traveled to San Francisco to pursue her education with the intention of pursuing a career as a school teacher. She lived with her sister Maud and her aunt and uncle, Mr. and Mrs. C.G. Noble at 209 21st Street. Blanche was a huge favorite at Christian Endeavor, the social club at the Emanuel Baptist Church. One morning in April 1895, Theo and Blanche met at a trolley stop near their home, as they were both on their way to their respective schools. Though neither of them had church on their minds, it's very possible that Theo was making plans to meet Blanche later that afternoon at the Emmanuel Church. Emmanuel Baptist had reportedly witnessed its fair share of such blasphemies since it had become fashionable for young people to gather for covert sexual encounters in unoccupied church spaces. Each spent a seemingly uneventful day studying. By the time two o'clock came around that afternoon, Theo was pacing restlessly close to the Polk Street tram stop. Blanche met Theo and the two boarded the tram together. Witnesses placed them walking toward Emanuel Church. Blanche would never be seen again. She would be murdered by Theo, although that would not be discovered for some time. Again, according to Welford for Medium.com, 
George King, Emmanuel's 19-year-old organist, arrived just before 5 o'clock to conduct a quick rehearsal of the music for the upcoming Easter service. However, he was stopped by the sound of footsteps before he had played more than a few introductory bars. He turned away from the organ to find Theo approaching from the direction of the stairway leading to the Belfry Tower, which surprised him. Theo was paler than ever, and when he noticed King's perplexed expression, he quickly explained, I have just been fixing a gas jet upstairs and breathing some escaping gas. Would you go to the corner drugstore and fetch me a bromo seltzer? Theo sounded and appeared much better when George returned, and the two men left the church together. The church had a prayer gathering that evening, and Blanche's absence from her house worried her aunt, Mrs. Noble. She went to the prayer gathering in hopes of seeing her niece, since she assumed she might have gone to a friend's house, but would be at the prayer meeting as usual. Theo was in attendance that evening, and even asked Mrs. Noble where Blanche was. The next day, church rumors picked up more steam, as it became known that Blanche had not returned home the previous evening. After a few days of anxiety, Mrs. Noble gave in to pressure and told the police and the media about her niece's inexplicable disappearance. No one thought it was necessary to say that they had seen her with Theo on the day of her disappearance, since he was considered above suspicion. Although some sources do contradict this and say that Theo was questioned, but either way, he's not arrested at this time. A medical school classmate of Theo's questioned him about Blanche's disappearance. Theo hypothesized that maybe she had gone into prostitution. Why he would say this, other than to cover his own uh, murdering, is unknown, because there was no indication that Blanche had anything to do with prostitution before this point. Theo then tries to pawn some women's rings in the city's Tenderloin neighborhood, but he's unable to reach an agreement with a pawnbroker. Mrs. Noble would soon get three rings in the mail that belonged to Blanche. She would subsequently testify in court that they were concealed in a piece of paper carrying the name George King. However, without a body, or really any evidence of wrongdoing, the police are left with no choice except to record Blanche's disappearance and hold out hope that either the young woman would be found alive, or that additional details about her fate would come to light. Blanche is still missing as of April 12th. Theo, however, is getting ready to kill once again. According to Dowd for SFGate, his second victim is Minnie Williams, a fellow parishioner who was a 21-year-old, known to favor gossip. Minnie appeared to have believed that she was involved in a sort of love triangle with Blanche, Theo, and herself. According to the Chronicle, Minnie informed her boss that she had been on multiple dates with Theo, including one in Fruitvale, during which he begged her to have sex. She refused, and he never forgot it. But Theo's motive for the killing wasn't only that. Minnie's acquaintance testified during the subsequent trial that she seemed off balance after Blanche vanished. She admitted, quote, 
I know too much about Blanche's disappearance. But she made no further comment. Welford for Medium.com reports that a homebound claims adjuster identified as Hodgkins witnessed Durant and Minnie arguing at the Emanuel Church entrance at 8 o'clock on the evening of April 12th. However, as he continued to walk, he noticed Minnie grab Theo by the arm and lead the two of them inside the church. Again, like in the instance of Blanche, the church door shuts upon a young couple who appear to be in love. But Minnie would continue to struggle once inside the church. Theo will stab her with a kitchen knife over half a dozen times, shattering the handle in the process. He'd then force her pants down her throat to strangle her. Her pre- and post-rape by Theo is revealed during the autopsy. When he's finished, he locks Minnie in a closet and quickly leaves the church to make it to a meeting at a church elder's home at 9 p.m. On April 13, 1895, members of Emmanuel Baptist are preparing the church for Sunday service, the day before Easter. And it's then someone will discover a young woman's mutilated body lying across the entrance to the library closet. The body is initially mistaken for Blanche, but a churchgoer soon recognizes her as Minnie Williams. Theo is the police's top suspect in the death of Minnie, and also now the disappearance of Blanche after discovering Minnie's relationship with him. After another search, an additional body will be found in the church bell tower. This body is stark naked, with her hands crossed over her chest, so calm and white that she resembles a marble statue, in contrast to Minnie's clothed but mutilated body. This second body is identified as Blanche, who had likely been raped and strangled before her killer posed her body. During the body's discovery, Theo is actually engaged in training exercises with the California National Guard Signal Corps at the time. He's detained by police, who then return him to San Francisco. He leaves peacefully, but vehemently proclaims his innocence. Although Theo is charged with both murders, Blanche's will be the one that goes to trial. She was the first to be killed and had a close relationship with Theo the day she vanished. Theo's case is nicknamed the crime of the century, and citizens of San Francisco took it to heart. This was true of many famous murders in the 1890s. Throughout the trial, the courtroom is entirely full, and women flock to the courtroom in particular to catch a peek of the attractive, charming young murderer. One such lady is known as the Sweet Pea Girl because she would give Theo a bouquet of sweet peas every morning, and he would occasionally even wear one in his lapel. The prosecution claimed that Theo was a sexual psychopath with a plan. Blanche's clothing and jewelry had been taken from her in the hopes that if her body was ever discovered, people would think she was a transient who had entered the chapel undetected and died. Even her most recognizable piece of jewelry, a diamond ring she wore every day, was up for sale. Remember, Theo tried to pawn rings earlier. But the diamond was too small to be of any worth. Therefore, the pawnbroker declines to make him a deal. 
A procession of witnesses who had seen Theo and Blanche together that day are called as witnesses during the trial, as well as police and medical experts. Blanche's shredded dress is on display on a dressmaker's mannequin throughout the trial, giving the testimony an unsettling presence as if the deceased herself was there. The defense, on the other hand, is haphazard, stressing the circumstantial nature of the evidence and suggesting that anyone at the church, including the pastor, could have committed the murder just as easily. However, it would be Theo's own testimony that most likely sealed the verdict. He carefully considered his word choices and frequently complained about being misquoted. But in the end, his testimony came off as inconsistent and inaccurate. With the exception of the motive for the murders, the evidence against Theo is overwhelming. But why did Theo murder these two young women? He had nothing to gain in the way of an inheritance or any valuable personal property. In reality, there's no logical justification for the killings. Although, to be honest, there's rarely a logical justification for a murder. According to Encyclopedia.com, the only motive for Theo to commit these murders, the only motive for Theo to commit these murders is an irrational desire to satisfy his sexual needs. In contrast to how easily a modern court might accept this, the absence of a valid motive in a 19th century murder case was still something quite unusual. Theo's fine character and stellar reputation in the community made it improbable, according to the defense, that he could have acted with such a perverted intent. Although it's not a particularly compelling argument, the defense had few other options. There was, however, always a chance the defense would be able to hold the prosecution back from establishing Theo's guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. Theo is compared during the trial to Jack the Ripper, the Marquis de Sade, and Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Every word is closely watched in San Francisco and across the country. After closing arguments, the jury takes two unanimous votes at the beginning of deliberation. They both are guilty of murder and execution by hanging. The jury is finished in only five minutes, but they decide to finish their cigars first because they feel it's simply too soon to go back. Theo is scheduled for execution in February of 1896, but the appeal process will spare his life for almost another two years. However, after a breakfast of steak, eggs, ham and toast on January 7, 1898, Theo is taken to the San Quentin Gallows. Around 200 people are present, and they anticipate a spectacular confession, but they would be disappointed. According to Dowd for SFGate, Theo said, quote, This crime was fastened on me by the press of San Francisco, but I forgive all. It is they who have forever blackened the fair name of California. He continues speaking this way for quite a while, until the hangman has had enough. On the final, I am innocent, he skillfully places the noose over Theo's head and sets the trap. All but his beloved mother saw Theo as a guilty man, 
but Mrs. Durant never once questions her son's innocence. And her actions following Theo's passing confirm for some that madness might be a family trait. Theo's body is transported to a separate room just moments after he was hanged. Mr. and Mrs. Durant embrace their son's face and sob. And then the warden enters to offer them tea and something to eat. People are appalled to see Mrs. Durant quietly eating next to her son's corpse. And this is according to a 1947 book, San Francisco Murders. Mrs. Durant will watch over her son for the following six days while Mr. Durant looks for a crematorium that would take Theo's remains. He has to go all the way to Los Angeles, but Mr. Durant finally persuades a Pasadena crematorium to accept Theo's body on January 13th. And as long as the church Emmanuel Baptist is in existence, tragedy persists there. One pastor will die by suicide, another is implicated in a sex scandal, and yet another will later kill Charles DeYoung, the founder of the Chronicle. Emmanuel Baptist is finally torn down in 1915, and today the area is attractive with row houses filling the street. That will bring us to the end of the life and crimes of Theo Durant. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you have, please remember to review, rate, and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have any feedback or a case suggestion you'd like us to cover in an upcoming episode, you can reach us on Instagram at Historical True Crime Pod or send us an email at Historical True Crime Pod at gmail.com. And we'll see you next week for another dark and notorious case from history. We'll see you then.